Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I'm your host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. You can find everything over at Destination Debbie at patreon.com slash all gas. Then a shout out to the Chillbillies, patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. A uh, quick plug for our next patron only show there. Uh, it will be Tommy Blair coming on on June 29th, live on YouTube, private stream to talk about how to defeat the portfolio player. So obviously, that is fascinating to me. Uh, to talk a little bit more about his process. We just completed a couple episodes this month uh, with Jeremy Timperio of Dynasty Daddy talking all about that platform. And then a couple weeks ago with uh, Dynasty Koopa talking about the warp tool. So definitely check that out if you're looking for more specific content from me. The newsletter at Destination Devi is allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. Check that out. You get more content from everybody at Destination Devi once a week dropping on Fridays. Finally, a shout out to Dynasty Trades in 5. We just completed our five-hour live stream this weekend. Appreciate everybody uh, who listens to this, shows support for that. It was awesome. Had a great time. Ray was very, very gracious to come on for a half hour talking about Best Ball Dynasty. So check that out on replay if you haven't. YouTube, Dynasty Trades in 5. Today's show is going to be a little bit of a quicker one. Probably not going to be one of those hour and a half long marathons. I'll try to keep this one to the typical off-season time, 30 to 45 minutes. I know I always say that. Ends up going longer. Uh, But I want to dive a little bit more into portfolio strategy. Last week, I touched on it with the intro to portfolio from a Vikings backfield lens. Talked about the Ty Chandler, Dwayne McBride stuff. Uh, So go back and listen to that. But we really didn't get into too much more in terms of how to actually manage the portfolio. And I want to do a specific series on my personal portfolio. Um, I've done that over on the Patreon before, but I definitely want to put something like that out this summer because truthfully, to do it justice, it probably is going to take multiple episodes to really dive in like what is behind my portfolio strategy. I don't do it the same as others. Um, I've done shows with other portfolio players. Uh, We definitely have some differences in the way that we manage it, where our thresholds are. Uh, But I think there's an ability to kind of explain those things, and then you can pick the path that you want depending on how many leagues, how many different types of leagues that you're playing in. You can kind of make those decisions for yourself. 
Today's episode is going to be three savvy portfolio trade strategies that I use and that I try to use frequently. However, as more and more dynasty players get smarter, I talk about this all the time on Trades in 5, the average player is way smarter than they were even three years ago, even last year, even two years ago, before the sleeper boom of dynasty. A lot of people are starting to sharpen up and have a process now. There's still players out there that don't care about process. They just chase their players or they only evaluate things from one lens and that's it. But those types of players, I think, are starting to slowly fade to the wayside. I think a lot of people now kind of understand that to be one of the better dynasty players, you kind of have to have an open mind, not just on player evaluation, film versus analytics versus all of the other ways you might be able to decipher how to pick players, but then what to do once you pick them, how to manipulate trades, how to manipulate roster construction, how to play the psychology of a league, understanding your league market. That's probably the most important thing, truthfully, when it comes down to it. We can have all the strategies and all the data, but then when you go to your league and you go, it's not going to work here, what will work? Being able to figure that out faster than everybody else is an edge, even if it's not maybe the way that you've designed from the beginning is the most advantageous from a data perspective, from a strategy perspective. So today's show is going to be three savvy portfolio trade strategies. I'm just going to kind of break them down. I'm not going to give a ton of specific examples. That's one thing I'm trying to be a little bit better on is going through this stuff and not really talking about specific players. Sure, players can be used to give examples, to highlight, but the idea should be you can interchange a lot of different players in those scenarios and make the same point. So that's how I'm going to go about it today. I'm going to maybe give some examples just to show, hey, this is an example of the prototype of what I'm talking about, but the players really don't matter all that much except for why am I picking those specific players? What about them? How did I go about picking who they were in this example? Then you take away from that what you will. But I'm going to go through these three savvy portfolio trading strategies. And the reason that I think they are portfolio trading strategies is because what they're doing is they are leveraging the fact that you don't have to just make the trade in one individual league. I talked about that a little bit on last week's show how you can use all of your leagues against each other when you're making deals. Because you have an edge over the person that might only be win one or two leagues. You may have the edge over the person that is facing one decision, one micro decision that could make or break what they do with their first round pick or make or break what they do in the next couple weeks leading before the playoffs if there's a trade deadline. Like they only have one move to make. They may only have one big swing to take because they only have one league. They don't have five leagues. They don't have 10 leagues. Now, I think a lot of people listening to this do play in multiple leagues, but even the people that are only in a couple, you do understand that you only have so many bites at the apple. You have only so many moves to make. And playing in the portfolio gives you the ability to just be more flexible. And if you just think about it, the more opportunities you have, the more deals you are going to get done. And if you identified places where these are plus EV or their moves where you know the odds favor you to make this trade. Now it may take 10 trades for you to realize six out of 10 victories in that 10. One out of one, zero out of one, one of them 100%, one of them 0%. So the person that's only doing it one time may not see the benefits. And I think we understand that. As the sample size grows, if the odds are in your favor, you want to get as much money down in the game as you can. That's exactly what the portfolio player can do, is they can leverage the fact that they have a ton of leagues, 
a ton of different markets. They can use the variable markets against each other. Uh, but just in general, you can get more stuff done when you're in more leagues. Then you start to understand, okay, I can leverage these leagues against each other. So then I'm gaining the additional value in the fact that maybe I have, like I said last week on last week's show, maybe I have six leagues where I'm trying to make this specific type of move. Well, what I can do is in three of those, maybe I can't make the move. Okay, so those three are out. But the other three, I can make the move. The market's there. There are buyers or there are sellers or there is somebody on the other end or even in this case, maybe multiple people on the other end willing to play ball, willing to make a move. So now instead of just being stuck with, okay, there's this one league where I know I can make this move and there's this one manager that's willing to play ball in that deal, I can go to all three of those leagues and say, okay, there are five people in those three leagues that can make these trades. And I can use those five against each other. It's not just pitting one manager against the other. It's pitting one manager against the other five. And when you start to play this way, and this is why I'm so big on roster construction I want to have all my teams aligned to where they're kind of the same when I'm going to make that trade. Because I talked about this last week as well. What you don't want to do is you don't want to get stuck trying to play a portfolio, but then you get in the weeds on some of these moves. And then the move where it's the most EV for you to make the move, you look at that team and you go, man, I really just don't want to make the move in this league because I can't, I can't risk it. It's too much risk. Whereas in the portfolio, you can say, really, it's not that much risk. I'm not taking much risk because I have all this other risk spread out amongst all these other leagues. And I'm pretty confident that I've already taken care of a lot of what I can control in those leagues in the form of roster construction, in the form of maximizing all my roster spots, all of that kind of stuff. So once you get there, you almost want to get to that equilibrium point across your portfolio. Then you can go out and start addressing some of these trade strategies that I'm going to talk about today. So it's going to be three savvy portfolio trading strategies that you can try to execute across your portfolio. And for the first one, I think it may be the most obvious, but it's one where a lot of times we get some trade questions on trades in five and people will come to me and they will message me and say, hey, here's my roster. I'm looking to trade these players. Or what do you think about making this move? And oftentimes it'll involve something where I go, yeah, sure, that's a good move, but I don't know if you're going to be able to make that happen. And it's typically because people will look at their team and they say, I've gotten my team to its sweet spot. It's at its peak point. Now what I want to try to do is trade off my excess and get what I can. I want to trade off my excess and get ironclad market value for my excess pieces. So the first move is going to be sell the products in your leagues in the form of your dynasty assets, actually sell the products that people want, sell the pieces that people want. And why I gave that example is there's a lot of times where people will come to me and say, you know what, I've built my roster up. It's really, really good. It's a 12 team start nine. I got all these extra pieces. And then they'll list out a bunch of players. They'll list out three or four quarterbacks five or six receivers, maybe three or four running backs, a couple tight ends. Good man, that's a really, really good team. It's got like 15 deep worth of players, right? And then they'll go, yeah, and I want to try to trade away these five players. And they'll name the worst five players of those 15. And then it's like, well, okay, well, what can you get for them? And then clearly if the rest of the league is kind of up to snuff, if they're active, if they're smart, they're probably going to look at a lot of those players and say, yeah, okay, maybe a couple of those guys could help me. Maybe in a start nine or even a start 10, some of those guys may crack my lineup. But it's like the Mike Williams example from last week, right? This is a perfect example where you would put Mike Williams and you go, you know what? He's my wide receiver seven. 
He's my wide receiver six. Who wants him? Yeah, Scott, I'll give you a third. I'll give you two thirds. Right? And then you go, well, you know what? Knowing what I know about Warp, knowing what we talked about last week with Mike Williams, should I really trade Mike Williams for two thirds? Now, you may look at your team and go, well, it's not best ball. It's a start 10. He's my seventh receiver. I really don't need him. There's a really good chance that if he doesn't do what I think he's going to do this year, his value actually goes down to like a third round pick, right? Because they just drafted a receiver in the first round. So you go, you know what? I can justify selling him. And part of it is, well, I don't need Mike Williams. But then you sit there and you kind of think about that. And you go, yeah, I don't need him. He's probably not going to crack my lineup because it is a shallow league. But then you sit there and you say, why would I just trade him away for less simply because I don't need him? Now, is a player like that going to burn you? Is he going to beat you? Probably not. So when I pull up a warp chart from 2022 and you just look at like a 1.5 tight end premium lineup league, you go to the wide receivers and you kind of find like where would Mike Williams slot in? You know, where does he actually slot in? You can look that up. But then you just typically look at where would he usually slot in if you gave him the benefit of the doubt. Last year, he was wide receiver 38. But even if you give him the benefit of the doubt, hey, he can be wide receiver 30. You're talking about warp between 0 and 0.4. So you already know pretty much exactly what he is. He is a single to start a rally in an inning where you were down four runs. He is what he is. He's a placeholder. And so you're sitting here going like, okay, should I take two thirds for him? Or can I look at other receivers that might be in the same range where I say, okay, this guy's actually a receiver that has some dynasty value. Let's go Jerry Judy or Deontay Johnson. Those are two others that kind of fit in the same range as Mike Williams. Are they better than Mike Williams? Yes. Are they younger than Mike Williams? Yes. Do they have a higher ceiling than Mike Williams? Yes. But the most important thing is they have much higher dynasty value than Mike Williams, and there's a much better chance that somebody in your league will want either one of them before they would want Mike Williams. So if you've established that this range of receiver matters in your league, and it does matter in a 12-team start 10, it matters in a league where there's more starters than that, a little iffy in a start 9, but even just in a start 10, This range probably matters. This is probably one of your last flexes. This is probably on the middle to low end range of your wide receiver threshold, you know, right around wide receiver 30 to 45, but they matter. You need to have enough of these guys. You need to have a roster construction that has a few of these guys hanging out in your flex, maybe one or two on the bench just to get by. That's probably the optimal from a roster construction standpoint. So you're looking at this. And the first tip was sell the products that are in demand and do so at the positive EV warp. And what I mean here is you essentially look at, can I sell Jerry Judy for a 25 first? Maybe. If I can do that, what do I gain? What do I gain if I sell Jerry Judy for a 25 first? And let's say I can only get a 25 second for Mike Williams and I have to give back a 24 third. Or maybe I get really lucky and someone will give me a 25 second for Mike Williams. So really what my net outcome in the trade is, is basically the difference between Jerry Judy and Mike Williams warp, which is extremely low. Last year, extremely low. We're talking less than two tenths of a win in warp last year versus the difference between a first and a second round pick. 
And forget about, well, the hit rate on a first is this, a hit rate on a second is this. I have to wait two years to make those picks. Think about how much potential you could have by just holding that extra first. You may not realize it for a year because it's a 2025 pick, but that's the way to assess that trade. And so when you're going into the trade negotiations, you may go, well, Jerry Judy is my wide receiver four and Mike Williams is my wide receiver six. So I'd much rather trade Mike Williams until you go out to the market and you say, well, this is all I can get for Williams, but I can get this 25 first for Jerry Judy. Really what the outcome is, is the difference between their warp versus the difference between the draft pick. And you could plug that into a trade calculator to calculate whatever it would be the difference between the future first in 2025 versus the future second in 2025. But when you sit there and break it down that way, especially where a guy like Jerry Judy and Mike Williams fit in your roster construction, it actually makes sense to make the Jerry Judy trade. Now you may go, you know what? I think Jerry Judy can be even better than he is. And then you may also say, well, I think Mike Williams just absolutely drops off a cliff this year. And if that's your bet, at least you've talked through the analysis. And instead of saying, I'm going with the process here, you're going against the process because you've picked these individual players to essentially trump the process. And that's okay. We all inherently have these biases. But I just wanted to illustrate what that process looks like. And again, forget the players, Jerry, Judy, and Mike Williams. I know I mentioned them multiple times, but they were just the placeholder examples of how you can kind of look at this trade because you can think about, okay, how would the market react to both of those players versus what their actual difference in your roster construction would be? And then you just kind of have to make a bet from there. But if you think about if you can make this trade over and over and over and over, you've probably taken that spot on your roster, you've maximized it from a warp versus what value you've stored in your portfolio. Now I have stored a future 25 first in my portfolio, and I really haven't lost that much warp. In fact, there's probably a non-zero chance that I get more warp from Mike Williams than I would for Jerry Judy. There's really not an opportunity for me to get more value out of that second than I would out of the first. You already know that. It's finite. You know one's a first, you know one's a second. You know the second is going to be lower than the first. But more importantly, what kind of power does the first have that you could use in a future trade that you may not even know was available right now? I mean, how do you know that going forward, having that extra first might be the difference between when you get a smash deal that's only available because somebody is looking for a first round pick. So that is the first portfolio trading strategy that I wanted to highlight, selling the products that are in demand. And you can almost add selling the products that are in demand in flat tiers in lieu of selling other players, as long as the warp difference is plus EV. So really, you're just weighing the difference between the players and their warp versus the difference between what you're getting back for each one of them. And I just want to say, warp is not predictive. I can't just cite their 2022 warp and say, hey, Mike Williams and Jerry Judy are the same player. That's not what I'm saying. Forget the names. You're trying to just pick ranges, understanding what you know about how players are valued, what their ranges of outcomes are. Look at some projections. If you really want to put numbers to this, look at some projections. You can pretty confidently say, if you look at some projections, you go and you find three people you respect that are doing projections and they go, yep, I got Jerry Judy at wide receiver 29, got Mike Williams at wide receiver 41. 
Then I got another one. You got Jerry Judy, wide receiver 30. Mike Williams, wide receiver 41. Jerry Judy, wide receiver 26. Oh, Mike Williams, wide receiver 33. And you already know, looking at that and looking at prior warp charts, you know where those are going to fall. It's just the name. It's taking the name out of it and just looking at the placeholder, looking how it fits in your roster construction and finding spots like that where you're just taking advantage of the market knowing that, man, there might be a pretty good market for Jerry Judy if I'm willing to take a 25 first. There is no market for Mike Williams. It is a second at best. But then you look at the differences between their ranges of outcomes, their projected warp, or even what their projected numbers and what that would look like in a warp perspective. That's one of those positive EV warp moves that you can make. And a lot of times you're going to find these moves in those dead zones, in those flat ranges, where you go, yeah, all these guys are kind of the same. And that's where you look to attack and try to make these positive EV warp moves. Rule number two, this is kind of going to piggyback on rule number one, but it's something that I wanted to bring up. Ray's talked about this a lot, and I think it applies to a lot of things in life, but it specifically applies to being a portfolio dynasty player. And the reason that it's beneficial to a portfolio player is you do not have to eliminate yourself entirely from exposure to this feeling. And the rule is sell players when it feels uncomfortable. Sell players, and a lot of times these are, at least in my perspective, these are just straight up sells. These are liquidation sells. These are sell Alexander Madison now for a second. Sell this player for a second and a third. And a lot of times they are going to be uncomfortable, meaning you're going to feel, man, what if I'm wrong? There is a reason I'm able to get this deal. There are a reason when I put up a player on an auto accept trade block for a second, that someone spams out the offer to me and I get the second. That's probably a player that has been getting some buzz that somebody saw that and goes, you know what, I'm going to give up a second for it. It could be a third. But the idea is when it's a somewhat higher end asset, it's going to be a little uncomfortable if you are able to sell the player. As people get smarter, they're not going to be buying as much on the stuff that everyone knows you want to sell. I heard a great show this weekend talking about the worst thing you can do as soon as something happens that changes a player's value. You see it in your leagues every single week. Player gets hurt in a game. That night, someone puts the backup on the block. Player gets traded. Player gets cut. Backup goes on the block. Or someone else that's affected or that moves up a rung goes on the block. And realistically, what do you expect? What do you really expect? If you're playing in a league of sharp managers and you see Dwayne McBride and Ty Chandler go on the block the morning that it's announced that Dalvin Cook has gotten released, what do they really expect you're going to pay? Now, there might be those one-off deals where someone goes, oh my gosh, I've been waiting three months for Dwayne McBride to have this opportunity. I loved him pre-draft. He goes to the Vikings. They cut Dalvin Cook. I'm going to give you two-thirds. I'm going to give you a second. There might be a one-off deal where someone does that. Problem is, you see those moves and you go, I don't really know the context, right? And a lot of times, the context on a trade like that is home league, nobody has a process, it's a start eight, whatever. Something wacky where you go, that's not a typical trade. Reality is, when you put those players on the block, when I see those, I go, yeah, okay. Sure, this is the time I'm going to go buy Ty Chandler. In fact, it's actually a reminder to the person of why they shouldn't buy those players. As if I already wasn't living under a rock, now you've just reminded me that I probably shouldn't go and buy them because immediately you're trying to trade them. So where do you get the sales from? Sell when it feels uncomfortable. 
Sell the players where you've gone through, you've assessed the situation, you've assessed the warp, you've assessed your roster construction, you've assessed the player's profile, whatever you want to use. I'm going to even zoom out and say uncomfortability can be defined as many different things. But probably when you are selling and someone else is just readily willing to buy and pay your price, you are probably selling in an uncomfortable range. And that's where you most likely want to operate when you're making good process trades. When you put a player on the block, like I said, for a second round pick and someone goes, I'll give you a second, that's probably not a nobody. That is probably not your random dynasty manager buying a player like Justin Ross for a second, right? That's probably not happening. That is a player that you probably value. That is an Alexander Madison. That is an Isaiah Pacheco. Somebody where you could tell yourself a story, man, the production or the future value of this player could actually be more than what I'm getting. But what would be the advantage of selling a guy like Madison for a second? Now, a lot of people would crush you and go, oh my gosh, Dalvin Cook just got cut. You can get more than a second for Madison. Well, what if you can't? What if you can't? Maybe the price is a second. Maybe you try for a second and third and you don't get it. But it's still uncomfortable to sell for the second. And I think that is one of the biggest things that I have learned is try to find the advantages in the trades Not in the range where I go, man, that was such an awesome trade for me. I feel so good about it. I traded away nothing, nothing that had any value, nothing that I wanted, and I got back exactly what I wanted. Like, that's not going to be the case with a lot of trades. A lot of the trades, you're going to have to go, you know what? I did this for a purpose. I did this because it had a process behind it. But there's going to be a little bit of uncomfortability. And I'm not saying that you're always going to feel that way. But typically, when I think about, oh, hey, I have this much exposure in my portfolio, I'll give an example just because I think people do like player examples where they can visualize this. Rashad Bateman. So before the news of Rashad Bateman's cortisone injection from his Liz Frank surgery, um, I had a ton of Rashad Bateman. A lot more exposure than I probably would want with a receiver at his profile. I had 24% Rashad Bateman. And again, I'll do a future show talking about my personal portfolio, where my thresholds are, yada, yada, yada. But I had more Rashad Bateman than any other receiver. So I had to go through and go, okay, I did the whole workup of here's the leagues I have him in. I removed the leagues I have Lamar Jackson because I like that kind of back-end stack, like a wide receiver three with a quarterback. I like that. So I removed a couple of those. I think I had three out of 12 that I had Lamar Jackson and Rashad Bateman. So I removed a couple of those. Uh, Removed a few leagues where I go, you know what? I'm okay keeping him here. Maybe I needed another threshold receiver or my roster construction is right where I wanted, or there just weren't any great pivot opportunities. Maybe the picks were worth something different, something like that. I removed a couple leagues out. I ended up with five out of 12 that I'm like, I'm going to go send out offers for Rashad Bateman, right? That's a player I want to trade in my portfolio. I removed seven and I said, I'm going to pick five and I'm going to aggressively trade him away with the goal. I'm going to find uncomfortable ranges for me to send out those offers. I want to move him in these five. I've identified these as five leagues where it is beneficial to me to liquidate, to pivot, to leverage, whatever it might be, these are the five I want to move them in. Do I need to move them in all five? No. But if I'm going to move them and I do want to trim a couple shares, I want to move them in these five. So then I go, okay, where am I uncomfortable with moving him? Would I move him for a second? No, maybe I can get a little bit more than a second. So I aimed a little higher. How about a second and a third? Okay, maybe I can get a little bit more than a second and a third. I had to do the assessment of, does the third matter in this league? Start 10? 
third may or may not matter. Start 11, start 12. I'm starting to get into ranges where, okay, I know the market values thirds. Then I have to look at if I get a third, am I going to be able to flip that third for what I want? You know, talking about, can I buy the spot start running back? Is it that type of league? So once I went through that assessment, I aimed on, I'm going to try to get two seconds for Rashad Bateman. And I knew in a couple of those leagues that those offers were going to be snap rejected. I had no shot. I ended up doing two trades where I did get two seconds, a 24 and a 25 second for Rashad Bateman. But a couple of the others, I got a little pushback. So then I had to go, okay, I'm going to start getting a little uncomfortable if I'm flipping him for just a straight up random second. Second and third is right on the fringe. Two seconds is kind of around my target, but I'm uncomfortable making that move. There's a little bit of uncomfortability. And that's probably where you find your price point and where you can get the most action. Again, I narrowed it down where I want to make trades. This isn't if I can't get my price, I'm not going to sell. This is I've gone through the exercise. I've found a player that I want to sell based on my portfolio exposure. Then I've narrowed down specifically where I want to sell. And then I've gone to the range where I go, you know what? I feel uncomfortable enough here that I'm probably going to be able to get a couple trades done. Boom. I ended up getting three Rashad Bateman trades done. I'm down to 18% exposure, which is fine. But I went through that exercise and I had to find that uncomfortable range. I didn't send out 40 offers way above market. I didn't send out 40 offers trying to get a first. I didn't even try. And maybe some people will say, you know what? I would have tried. But again, I only have so much time. And so I kind of went right to the uncomfortable range where I go, you know what? I feel just uncomfortable enough at this price point. That's where I'm going to target. And lo and behold, I ended up getting three deals done in those five leagues where I was sending out those specific offers. So portfolio trade strategy two: find the uncomfortable range. Sell when it's uncomfortable. Find that spot. And that's probably going to be your price point. And this is when specifically you've already made it a point that you want to get these deals done. Again, this is not, well, I'll put them on the block and I'll see what I can get. But if I don't get a 30% overpay, I'm not going to trade them. If I don't get the keep trade cut value plus a third, I'm not going to trade them. This is, I've identified as a portfolio player, there is value in me just getting the trade done. And getting the trade done at my uncomfortable price is the most efficient way to go about it. So operating in the uncomfortable zone, Ray says it all the time. If you make a good deal, a smart deal for your team, you're probably going to feel a little uncomfortable. And that's exactly trade strategy number two. So with that, before we get into number three, we will hear from Underdog Fantasy. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Debbie team. The best part, if you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Debbie Discord, where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up, Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Debbie Discord. Back to the show. Welcome back. So we finished today's show with portfolio trade strategy number three. 
and it is restocking your portfolio in the future. And this is very similar to the idea of shorting a stock. So in theory, when you are shorting a stock, you are essentially borrowing a stock, selling the stock at whatever the price is, and then hoping that it goes down. So you can basically buy more back, replenish what you borrowed, and still have money left over. Now, this is not exactly the same as you would look at it from a dynasty perspective, because you're not going out there and borrowing assets. But when you can think about it, you can think about it in the sense of, if I already have a stock and the price is X, and the key being, you're not necessarily sitting and saying, I don't like this stock. I don't want this stock as part of my portfolio. Really what it is, is I just don't want this stock over this defined period of time. I don't want this stock over the short term. I don't want it for the next six months. I don't want it for the next 12 months, but I want it long term. I want to have it as part of my portfolio. But really what you can do is take advantage of the time and you can use your portfolio as a way to kind of buffer some of the risk and move the money around and then be able to buy it back as part of your portfolio later at what hopefully is a cheaper cost. So for instance, I'll give you the best two examples that I can think of this year. Drake London, Michael Pittman. Drake London is a guy I definitely want to have a certain level of exposure in my portfolio for the next couple of years. Whatever that might be, 10%, 15%, he's a good prospect. He had a really good rookie year, but the situation right now doesn't warrant that I want to necessarily hold that value or whatever that value track is going to look like over the next six months. I don't want to hold that as part of my portfolio. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have plans to get it back, and there's always a world where the stock price goes the other way. And if you want to get it back, you have to pay a lot more. But you've kind of dialed down like who are the bets that you want to make that kind of fit these definitions. And you've made educated bets in these ranges. And you say, you know what, this is a player where I think I can still maintain my exposure. I just have to manipulate this short period of time. And what you want to hopefully do is identify those specific players and try to make essentially the restocking moves or the shorting moves with those players. And you probably have to do it as we're still a little bit of ways away from the season. You don't want to wait until a week or two before the season. Everyone's done redraft leagues at that point. Projections are getting really, really spot on or as dialed in as they're going to actually get because you have updates with all the situations, all the injuries, all the depth charts, all that kind of stuff. So you probably don't want to wait. And it might even be a little too late, honestly. We're already getting into that season where people are starting to look at players as what are they going to do for me next year? And that is influencing, maybe not their overall dynasty value, like in startups, but the trade market. You know, Drake London, wide receiver 11 on keep trade cut. Go try to move him. Go try to move Drake London for Tyreek Hill, for Stefan Diggs, for Cooper Cup. And you may get pushback. Now, you might also be a little greedy and say, I want something on top of it. But the idea being, there's going to be moves where people say, you know what, I'm not giving up those points. You know, Drake London, yeah, on paper, he's wide receiver 11, but I really don't want to pay for an asset where a lot of the value is just based on future value, future projection, rookie profile, and production. So it's a little more difficult than it should be on paper to move these specific assets. So he's one, he's a really good example of a player where I'm very certain Drake London is a good threshold receiver going forward. Is he elite? I don't know. But I also want to make a bet based on this year's projections that he's probably going to be a player where at best he's neutral next year and a very good chance that I think he slips just a little bit. And he may not slip in terms of wide receiver ADP. Like I don't project that guys that are 28, 29 are going to go ahead of him. But I think the demand on the market is going to be just a little bit less next year. There's going to be a little bit of fatigue 
built into Drake London next year. Uh, Michael Pittman is the other one, currently wide receiver 26 on keep trade cut. But again, I've talked about this a couple times with Anthony Richardson being a rushing quarterback and being a rookie quarterback. It's kind of like the deadly combo that is going to hold down Michael Pittman's production for this year. Uh, He's a little older. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. So there's just a lot of question marks. He is somebody that's good. He is a clear wide receiver two, wide receiver three. I don't think he has the chance to crack the top 15. Uh, If he did, it would be a really efficient offense quarterback situation that elevates him into that range. He's shown enough to elevate into that range if he has the right situation, but I'm also willing to bet that he kind of falls backwards just a little bit this year. So those are two examples of stocks that I'd be willing to short, but I want to have them in my portfolio. I don't want to go, you know what? I'm fading them forever. Let me sell if I can get proper market value. I'm not going to worry about it later. Like those are players where I go, you know what? I don't have a lot of exposure to Michael Pittman. I actually had five shares going into this season and have sold four for that specific reason. Essentially just shorting the stock that, you know what, I'm going to be able to get my money back and get back to baseline to where I was. And I'm probably going to be able to do it a little bit cheaper. I was able to move him for essentially pivots plus in other deals where I get essentially another receiver that I think is in the exact same range and I'm getting something else that helps me. So that type of deal is exactly what I'm talking about by restocking your portfolio in future value. You're essentially betting on an asset that probably has baseline value that's not just going to vaporize overnight, but you're just betting on a slight fallback in value, a downtick. Maybe the market demand is down a little bit more, and it could just be as simple as, you know what, Drake London could be a top 24 receiver, low end, wide receiver two. He doesn't lose a ton of dynasty value because... Part of the reason that he stays in the range that he does is because people are already expecting this outcome. So it isn't like everybody is going to say, oh my gosh, he was only wide receiver 24. Let's move him way down. They're going to actually tell you if they like him, they're going to tell you the reasons why he should stay up there because look what he did despite the situation. But the idea is you're essentially shorting the stocks with the intent of paying it back, getting your portfolio back to where you wanted it, And you're just not going to store the dead or falling value during the time while it's falling. You're trying to essentially circumvent that. You're trying to kind of liquidate and then get back at a cheaper price. Essentially, that is what this move is. So it's identifying places in your portfolio where you want to have exposure with the intent of buying back, with the intent of understanding that, you know what, next year there's going to be more opportunities because of these bets that I'm making to buy back a couple of these players. Now, have there been times where I've planned on it and then I don't end up actually buying back? Yes. And then have there been times where I've planned on it and then I'm wrong and I don't want to buy back because the cost is too high? Yes. Like those are possible, but the intent here is targeting a couple specific players or specific situations and you go, you know what? I'm going to bet against that. I'm going to find the places to make these moves. And for me, I'm actually willing to go down pretty significantly in terms of my portfolio exposure. I was at five out of 50 of Michael Pittman, which is perfect for a player in his range. Again, I'll do a future episode talking about where my thresholds are. That was perfect. I like having like 10% of receivers that are in that range. That is perfect for me. But I went down all the way to one. So now I'm down to 2% of Michael Pittman. With Drake London, I was actually at one point, I was at 18% Drake London. I'm down to 8% of Drake London. So I'm fine kind of taking those down almost to the bottom, almost to the point where it's like, you know what, this one share Michael Pittman that I have, there's a reason I either have it 
And that is, A, I want to keep him for this specific league. Maybe it's a league where I have Anthony Richardson or it's a best ball league, and I believe that is the case. The one league I have Michael Pittman, I do have Anthony Richardson, and it is a best ball league. But every other league, I'm trying to move him for this specific short reason. And if I can't, then you know what? I'm just going to be stuck with him there. And then with Drake London, it's the same thing. Like, I'm not worried about keeping my exposure in the short term. I'm fine having it all the way down to zero, quite honestly. If I could take it down to zero, unless I had a very specific reason, I'm fine taking it down to zero, and then I'll build it back up. It's the same with injured players. You could look at it the same way. Player suffers an ACL injury. Most of the time, I've always been a proponent. Anyone that's followed me over the last couple of years, player suffers a torn ACL, barring that they are not an elite super stud player, I'm out. I'll get out because there's going to be a window to buy back in. I just have to be aggressive. But the biggest thing is, why can I play it this way? Why can you short stocks? Why can you short stocks on the stock market typically is because you have a lot of money. You have a lot of capital to play with. It's the same thing here. You have a portfolio. You have a large portfolio to kind of leverage. You know what? If I lower my exposure to Michael Pittman to 2%, but then we get to next offseason and I go, you know what? I want that to be back up at 10%. I can probably get that 10% back. And if the projection that I'm saying I'm betting on going into this year comes to fruition, I think there's a pretty good chance that I can get back those four Michael Pittman shares a little bit cheaper than I traded them away for. But I didn't just eat that value on those five shares. I got rid of them now, was able to buy back cheaper. My exposure went right back to where it was, but I earned a little profit out of it. And the biggest benefit is a lot of times... The place where you sell them is not the place you're going to buy them back. And that's another benefit of the portfolio, right? Like you may say, I'm only in two leagues. I just sold the guy, Michael Pittman. Now in six months, I expect to buy him back cheaper. If it's the league you already sold him, it's probably a little harder to do that, right? Because the person that bought him probably bought him for a reason. They're probably maybe looking a little deeper into the situation and saying, you know what? I'm not going to sell in six months. I'm actually okay with it being here in six months. And that's the reason I bought him from you. So the benefit of the portfolio is I can go, well, you know what? I sold him here, 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 and here, but I'm going to be able to go buy him back there and there. And maybe I do a new startup to add and I get him there. So you have more opportunities to buy him and it's not going to really conflict with where you sold him in the first place. So you're using the markets against each other as well. The one caveat to this strategy And I thought about this a lot earlier today when I was on a long walk, kind of thinking about what to talk about this week. The one caveat to this strategy is kind of what I hit on a little earlier with Drake London is the shorting strategy works good if you have a portfolio. It can work great if you're doing it in the ranges where the players are volatile and you know where your convictions may lie in those ranges. The only caveat would be if the league economy or the market is already putting the player in its place because of those same narratives that you're thinking that you can fade on, right? And I was kind of already hinting on that with Drake London, that the market may say, keep trade cut, wide receiver 11. And this is one of the examples where the startup ADP really doesn't reflect what the market is, simply because the startup ADP, people are going to go, well, if I'm starting a brand new team, I'm much more likely just to take the young guy. And a lot of people will say, I'll just take the youngest receiver. And he does fit that mold of you're getting them, you know, around later than Garrett Wilson almost around later than Chris Olave. So I can see why people in a startup would take him. But then you go out to the trade market and it immediately becomes the narrative of, well, his projection this year isn't that good. So I'm good. I'm not going to pay that price. So once that already starts getting baked in, 
that's where the narrative starts to already impact your shorting position, right? Like you're not able to make that deal because it's already being factored in or you may make the deal and you're actually walking into a trap because all the people that are buying are already kind of building that into his price and it's reflecting that in the fact that they're willing to buy. So you have to kind of get a good read on the market. Sometimes you have to think of these positions before they become obvious. If everyone out there on Twitter is talking about how Drake London's projection this year is outside the top 24, and they see the demand or you feel the demand across your portfolio, people are just like, yeah, I'm not that excited about Drake London. You put them on the block, or you just talk to random people in your league about them, and there's just not a lot of excitement. It's already being factored in, right? It's already being factored into the market on the player to begin with. So you can be wrong on some of these bets if it's already being reflected in the market value and you haven't got a proper read on that. But that's strategy number three, restocking the portfolio with future value at a cheaper cost than what you sell away. Essentially the equivalent of shorting a stock. Not exactly the same, but look that up if you don't know what that means. Uh, But basically you're doing that in Dynasty. You're not moving off of a player because you want less exposure. You're just moving off of the player because you don't believe in the stock in the short term, but in the long term, you do want to have exposure. You do want to have that as part of your portfolio. So if you can do any of these, try them. You have a couple months in the dead period here to go through, assess your teams, look at your shares. I'll plug Dynasty Daddy, dynasty-daddy.com. It's a great way to manage your portfolio. It has the portfolio tool in there helps you look up trades. It helps you literally manage where you may be overexposed, underexposed, uh, and then use that in conjunction with the warp graph. Like go through your leagues. If you see a league where you want to look up the warp, do it. If you see a place where maybe I have some exposure to a player that's on my, I want to do one of these moves with that player, go then look at the warp graphs and figure out, okay, where's my roster construction? What does it make sense to do? So use those incongruence. And if you do that, I think you can really make some savvy portfolio dynasty trades over the next couple months leading up to the 2023 season. I wanted to give a shout out uh, to everybody at the Destination Devi crew. Uh, excited for Heisman Heroes versus Villains, which is kicking off this morning or may have already kicked off when you listen to this show. It's going to be 32 rounds of auctions. USFFL rules only can win two players max per round. It's only 12 players per day with a random roll each day as to what position is going to come up. Uh, but anyone that's been in a USFFL auction league, uh, this is 32 straight rounds. There is no snake draft. You still get a $1,000 budget. You have to budget it for 32 rounds of auctions, and each round comes up based on an individual position. So first day could be quarterback. Second day could be tight end. Uh, my conference, uh, Ray, myself, and Trophy Chase, uh, from the overreaction pod are the three captains. Uh, mine came up as tight end for the first round. So tight ends will go up first. Just really unique. It's really, really fun. We did a uh, division draft the other night where Chase, Ray, and I uh, were on YouTube and essentially just did a draft of everybody into the divisions. Just of who you're going to draft with in the 32 rounds of auctions. And then once that's done, all 36 teams will go into one big league or it's a three-copy league, and you can trade with everybody. So really excited for that league. Uh, if you're interested in stuff like that, like join the Heisman. Join the Heisman tier. That's where you're going to get access to doing a lot of these cool leagues. You start by joining patreon.com slash allgas. The Heisman tier, though, is where it's at. Shout out to everybody that jumps into voice chat. Heisman has blown up 
over the last year. It's super interactive. That's pretty much where I'm hanging out all day when I'm not actually doing my real job. Uh, but check that out if you're interested. A lot of cool leagues, and that's probably the coolest one that's starting up this year. Uh, we're kicking it off uh, today with the first of 32 rounds of auctions. And then finally, I want to announce this. Uh, the specifics have not been ironed out exactly of how it's going to be available. Uh, but Adam and I, uh, Adam at ATM 4D Chess, co-host of the 4D Chess podcast, him and I are going to be doing a very special and unique series talking about warp. It's going to be interactive. It's going to be visual. It's going to be hopefully evergreen content where you can almost look at it as like, I'm going to binge this series of shows talking about warp, talking about different formats, talking all about roster construction, how to look at your individual leagues. We're going to try to cover as much as we can in the set of time parameters that we have. We're not sure where that's going to be put out, uh, but him and I are starting to collaborate on that. Uh, so more to come in the future on that, but I just wanted to put it out there. Something to be excited for if people like talking about warp and roster construction and how they can use it better. Uh, we're hoping this can be something that bridges the gap to the community of how to use it. A lot of people have heard us talk about it, reference it on Twitter, mention it all the time when we're talking about roster construction and players and trade values. Uh, but how do you actually use it? What does it mean? So we're going to try to really get into that so we have something that we can point people to to look at and view and watch and consume, then they can come back and listen to some of this content and go, you know what? I get it. I want to go out and actually start building my portfolio. I want to really start executing some of this stuff in my leagues, uh, but more to come on that. Shout out to Adam. Him and I spent quite a while talking uh, over a couple days span, getting that ironed out and hopefully we'll have more details on that coming soon. Uh, with that, I'll go ahead and sign off more portfolio talk over the summer. Appreciate all the listeners, all the great feedback. Continue sharing the show. Reach out to me if you have any topics or ideas that you really want to hear me talk about. Uh, I do get random messages all the time, direct messages saying this type of trade strategy worked or here's an example of something I thought was kind of unique that I saw in my leagues. Send me that stuff because it's not just players. It's not just trades. Like sometimes people will send me stuff and I go, that's really interesting. There's a bigger picture idea that I can take away from that example and use. So I appreciate that kind of stuff. And with that, I will finally sign off. Be chill.